Welcome back, folks. This is your host, Vince Emanuele. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network. You can find us here, Meditations and Molotovs, every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time. Well, there's plenty of stuff to talk about today. I've already been fired up because I was just watching the MSNBC live stream on my computer. So for folks, this is just an aside uh, especially when it comes to corporations like MSNBC or GE, which owns NBC, et cetera, et cetera. People should access this information for free. If it were up to me, people would be paying money to access the information on the PRN website. Uh, that, to me, seems more useful uh, than the uh, ridiculousness people are getting on the cable news networks. Nonetheless, I think it's important and interesting for people who are thinking critically about these issues to watch those networks. See what the dominant media is saying. See what the advisors for these campaigns are saying. See how they're framing the issues. Um, you know, see how people are reacting to the way that they're framing those issues. To me, it seems worthwhile to watch this stuff every once in a while. Not all of the time. And if I were being honest with everyone, I would say that I've spent way too much time over the last what would it be, seven days now, last Monday was the RNC, I've spent way too much time last week, Monday through Thursday, watching these uh, live stream events online, which brings me, I guess, to my point. You can watch this stuff online for free. So just Google MSNBC streaming live or Fox News or CNN or whatever perspective you want to get, limited as they are, and you can watch them online. You have to pay cable news network. You think I pay these lunatics sixty, a hundred, a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars a month to watch the bullshit that they peddle on cable? Come on, folks. Come on. Anyway, total madness today. <laughs> I think it's great. Personally, I think it's freaking great what's happening. Um, yeah, people are waking up. People are uh, snapping out of it. You know, all these, I mean, the naivety here is amazing. So you have, how do we start here? I was going to start with uh, Republican National Convention reflections on the RNC from last week. But I think I'll start by talking about what's going on at the Democratic National Convention. So the first report I had received was a couple days ago, and this was following the People's Convention, which was planned and took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I don't know what groups were responsible for putting on the event. I'm not quite sure who, so who was in charge of it or where the framework came for the event, but from what my friends told me, the event was largely white and filled with tons of sort of hippie types. You know, and this has been a problem. With the Bernie Sanders campaign from the beginning, I can find plenty of white progressives who support Bernie Sanders. And yes, I can find young African-American voters, young black voters who support him and young Latino voters who support him, but not overwhelmingly. If you look at the numbers, particularly in the southern states for young black voters, 
while they prefer Sanders to Clinton, it is not by an overwhelming margin. The same is true in many Latino communities around the country. So we have to stop with all of these simplistic explanations for things or these simplistic answers or these simplistic descriptions. You know, some of Bernie Sanders supporters, in my opinion, are really naive people. I mean, extremely naive people who just for the first time are waking up to the fact that they're being screwed. Again, welcome to the party. For people who are young, great. You're learning. Your introduction to American politics is essentially what every Western European has been experiencing for the last 50 years. Democratic, quasi-socialist uh, policies. Not a big deal. Um, not that radical. Not that outrageous. Not even that exciting, according to me. I mean, I don't find much of what Bernie says exciting. To me, everything that Bernie says is sort of a prerequisite for what we need. Yes, like before we do any, let's put it a different way, before we do anything interesting in this country, before we uh, change any kind of inst international institutions, before people in the United States create a radically new progressive uh, government, uh, before we abolish police forces and replace them with whatever people think they're going to replace police forces with or before we abolish the military and break down the empire. Well, I mean, I can tell you this. If we don't get people health care, education, decent uh, living wage or benefits or whatever, you know, if it doesn't have to be a living wage, it could be state-funded programs. It could be welfare programs. I wouldn't give a shit if everyone was on welfare in this country. That's great. Give everyone $40,000 a year. Let's keep the exact same uh, – system that we have right now and let's go from there and then let's create something more wonderful that's that's fine too i mean so you know i mean the idea that bernie's out there saying hey uh, the people need health care the people need uh living wage jobs uh the people need uh education i mean no shit the people need that stuff i mean if that stuff is exciting to you you better pull your head out of your ass you had better go to the fucking library you know come on the stuff that Bernie Sanders is talking about is the sort of shit that we heard when we were freshmen in a sociology class at PNC in Westville, Indiana. It's not that exciting. It's not that radical. Wake up, folks. Wake up. And now you see what Bernie's doing. This is even the more despicable and, 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 and sort of uh, disgusting part of the Sanders campaign is, well, look, look what he's essentially doing. He's not creating independent political institutions, folks. He's not going to help you create an independent political party. He's not even going to help you create independent political mechanisms or campaigns. This guy is doing exactly what the left said he was going to do. And I have to admit that I was wrong here. Where I thought that the campaign could honestly serve as a mechanism to get people out of the two-party system, the left wing was Dead on when it comes to Bernie Sanders. The guy is a fucking sheepdog for the Democratic Party. The main, listen to everything Bernie Sanders has said in the last two weeks. Everything Bernie Sanders has said in the last two weeks points to him wanting to help reform the Democratic Party. That's what these people think they can do. I've got news for you, folks. If you think you're going to reform the Democratic Party by the time the ice caps melt and we've got hundreds of millions of refugees roaming around this planet Earth and killer robots, as we've talked about on the program, so that's no longer something crazy you know, to say. Uh, 
if you think that the that these these young naive activists in Philadelphia who think they're going to reform the Democratic Party are out of their collective minds, and I look forward to speaking with them in ten or twenty years when half of Florida is ten foot underwater. Yeah, then what? You think people are going to give a shit about Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Tim Cordova and their bullshit campaign in Florida? One Zionist Israel loving moron versus another Zionist Israel loving moron? And what, just because one of them represents the hypocrisy and the corruption of the DNC, but the other one is what? Tim Cordova, he's some hero? Get real, folks. I mean, I honestly thought when I got involved with the Bernie Sanders campaign that I was going to run into some extremely interesting people. It happened on some level. There were some people who were interesting, but by and large, oh, man, it's been disappointing. People are as boring as I figured people were. (laughs) Honestly, people aren't reading anything interesting. People aren't watching anything interesting. I'm not hearing any interesting proposals from people. People are a bunch of brainwashed slaves. That's what it seems like. What is the interesting proposals coming out of Philadelphia that we have what essentially the Scandinavian countries have enjoyed for for, uh, decades, Uh, albeit in a completely different context than the United States? So in some ways to compare the two is quite silly. That's not to say that we couldn't enjoy the social, political, cultural benefits that people within those countries enjoy on behalf of the state apparatus. That's simply to say – that it's a much different story here, that it would be much more difficult to implement those reforms here as, as people are finding out. So let's not act naive. And then for people to act like they're surprised over this. Oh, my God, this proves it. If you didn't know prior to going into this election that the DNC and Hillary Clinton were corrupt to the bone and that the DNC was going to do, including... The liberal media, which includes primarily the Washington Post, places like Vox.com, the New York Times, MSNBC, and so on. The Washington Post, I might have mentioned that already. If you didn't know prior to going into this election that those entities were going to throw the election for Hillary Clinton, you're naive and uneducated, politically uneducated or politically ignorant. Now you know better. That's awesome. All of us start out politically ignorant and uneducated. Some of us remain politically ignorant and perpetually uneducated. And some of us try and be critical and grow and learn that the way we were thinking last month, last year, 10 years ago, five years ago was wrong. It was flawed. It was not as complex as it should be today with the understanding and the information that we have now. So let's stop with all of the faux anger and frustration, and oh my God, this isn't the real Democratic Party. This is exactly the Democratic Party that you asked for. This is the same Democratic Party that's been screwing people over in this country since the inception of the Democratic Party. And even, of course, this, oh, the modern Democratic Party. Oh, you mean when President Johnson was calling people niggers and spicks? Is that what you mean? Or do you mean the bootlegging, uh, philandering president, drug-doing president, uh, JFK? And his brother, Bobby, those two corrupt bozos, those guys are so-called heroes too. The ones who got us into Vietnam, the ones who never saw uh, a Cold War narrative that they didn't like 
And remember, that's why Kennedy got elected, folks. Remember, that's why Kennedy got elected in, what was it, 1960. The point, or the reason, the primary reason he got elected was because he was more hawkish on foreign policy issues. And the people thought that because he was a World War II veteran, he was going to be tougher on Russia. That's how that punk got, got elected. Go look at the history. And we hold these, these moron Democrats, hold these people up like they're heroes. It's sickening. It's as ridiculous and as absurd as the, the moron Republicans who hold these people up, like Ronald Reagan on a pedestal. These heroes. I mean, what is it about this crap? Heroes. These people look up to, or these parties, these symbols, these icons. The party. Oh, my God, this is what the party is all about. What party? You mean the party that passed NAFTA or the party that bombed the hell out of Vietnam? Which party? <laughs> I don't understand. Is it, this, is it the party of Barack Obama who's been drone striking innocent civilians all across the world for the last eight years? Or is it the Democratic Party of Bill Clinton, the one that passed NAFTA, deregulated the banks, deregulated the telecommunications industry, deregulated secondary education, promoted private schools? What Democratic Party? Is it, or is it the Democratic Party of Jimmy Carter and the Carter Doctrine, where that, that uh, bozo from Georgia got on TV and told people, we will use everything up to deadly force in the military to protect United States interests in the Middle East, sending us on the last uh, 40 years of disastrous policies in Western Asia, the Middle East, and North Africa. Or is it the Democratic Party of Lyndon Johnson who bombed the hell out of Vietnam? Come on. We, uh, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for it. It's kind of crazy, really. You look at the modern landscape. You look at what's happening. The left is extremely fractured, fragmented. They're at each other's throats. They can't organize. The Green Party's a joke. It's going to be a joke for many, 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 many years to come. That's For my money, the Green Party is no different than the Democratic Party insofar as there is no way you're going to reform or take over the Green Party and make it something different than what it is today within, what, 10 or 20 years? And let's be real, folks. What are we looking at here? Read the climate reports. Science doesn't change because people are emotional and scared of what the future is going to bring. Science is really freaking clear here, and they've been really clear since the beginning. Either we drastically change society's dominant institutions in the next decade, 10 years. And some, and let me be clear here too, because some, such as Guy McPherson and others, would argue that it's already over with. So all these people are running around telling Americans and the world, oh, you know, if we just switch to some green energy and everything's going to be okay. Or if we just do a green energy jobs program, like I'm hearing from these socialists on the left, we need a green new deal. To put people to work. We, we better be thinking way beyond that. I fear that we can't anymore. I fear that we're living in like in uh, the dark ages for ideas and alternatives. 
I mean, the fact that people think that socialist reforms are radical is, I mean, it's, it makes me so sick. It makes me so frustrated and disempowered that I just want to say the hell with it. I mean, I don't even want to work with the leftists and activists, the majority of whom aren't saying anything, anything interesting. The ones who might be saying something interesting. So like if you run into somebody and they say, hey, you know what? I've been thinking about or I've been reading about alternatives to capitalist system and they think they've got the answer. You know, they read two or three books and now they're like, well, no, this is, you know, these are like the dogmatic anarchists. That do- and there can be plenty of dogmatic anarchists. There's the dogmatic communists, dogmatic socialists. And that stuff is so banal and vapid. I mean, get out of here. I mean, we are dealing... Does, is it is it dawn on anyone that we are trying to operate in the 21st century and we're still using political ideologies from the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries? Does that does that occur to anyone? Does it occur to anyone that the political, the dominant political and education, political educational, economic institutions that run our daily lives were created at a time when people didn't have electricity. That's insane. This is total madness to me. So, I mean, does that mean that we're not going to learn anything from history? Of course not. Does that mean people shouldn't read about history? Of course not. Does that mean people couldn't find inspiring ideas from writers and thinkers from you know, 300 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. Of course. If you find inspiration or parts, bits and pieces of inspiration from those cultures or those societies or those thinkers, those books or whatever, that's great. That is awesome. No one's saying that's not great. No one's saying you can't do that. What I'm saying is, is if we're going to take those ideologies, those ideas, those thinkers, those books, those cultures and overly glamorize them or put them on a pedestal or to try and dogmatically interpret their intent or dogmatically reinterpret some of their actions, then I think we're in for more failure. So while I wanted to talk about at the beginning of this program that the RNC from last week, which was a total disaster, I mean, come on, but it was interesting, let's be... Let's be serious. Again, what did the liberal media, what did the liberals focus on? Liberals focused on a plagiarized speech, which, okay, ridiculous. Somebody should have known better. Oh, gosh, all of those things that people in the mainstream media say. Of course people should have known better. But that's not the point, you know. I mean, this is a woman who's very rarely done public events like that, and I'm not going to jump all over her. I mean, I think that stuff is really, that stuff to me is really cheap, um, and then you see the hypocrisy today. So more liberals losing their mind over the fact that Melania Trump plagiarized bits and pieces of Michelle Obama's speech. But where are they now that they've learned that Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the chair of the DNC, and the DNC were actively colluding with the Clinton campaign to make sure that Bernie Sanders didn't win the nomination? So as I mentioned on social media earlier, what is worse? Plagiarizing a speech? Or undermining democratic mechanisms. And this is the problem with the way the modern, you know, the modern media, social media, the way people think about these events. There's no principles at play. People are upset about plagiarized speeches, but they're not upset that people are undermining these democratic processes or quasi-democratic processes. It's absurd. 
And to the people I saw earlier on MSNBC who were booing Bernie Sanders as he said he was going to, he was hoping that they would support and vote for Tim Kaine and Hillary Clinton. I find these people to be equally silly and naive. I mean, of course, it's fun to watch, no doubt. I love watching these systems and these institutions and parties collapse. Not for any, I mean, in some ways, okay, out of my own joy, but in a secondary and more important manner because these institutions and systems have to go away for us to actually do what we need to do to create a, a decent society and a planet that we can live on without destroying it. This stuff has to happen. So, of course, I'm going to take some pleasure in watching it, but that doesn't mean I have to respect it. Do I respect these delegates who are booing Sanders? Of course I don't. He's, he's been very honest from the beginning to his own fault as people on the left encouraged him to try and remain fiercely independent and don't put all of his cards on the table. You know, in other words, he shouldn't have from the beginning said, well, look, I'm going to support Clinton no matter what. He should have made that conditional and he should have taken that card off the table. Now, some argue that he wouldn't have got as much attention, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? You know, the fact of the matter is Bernie and his supporters had no idea that this was going to get as big as it did. People, rightfully so, thought that Bernie Sanders' campaign was a protest campaign. And it largely was at the beginning. And then it picked up momentum. And then it picked up more momentum and more momentum. And eventually, people realized that this guy actually was a very serious, had a very serious shot. The problem was he didn't take it seriously. He didn't go after Clinton in the way that he should have went after Clinton. So if his supporters are booing him for that, that's fine. But his supporters should have encouraged him to do so. They didn't. A lot of his supporters blindly followed what Bernie told them until today. So on the one hand, I can appreciate the independent thinking. I've always appreciated that. It's what led me to become an activist. I think it's important for people to think for themselves and question authority. It's sort of the credo that I think a lot of us should live our lives by. But to boo Bernie Sanders because he's supporting Hillary Clinton, I think is pretty silly when from the beginning he was more than clear about what he was going to do if and indeed when he was going to lose the nomination process. And so here's the situation we find ourselves in. Many, many, many white progressives and very few, some young black voters and young Latinos and Latinas are upset with Bernie Sanders. Where are they going to go? Are their votes going to be taken for granted? I assume so. I don't think, and I'm, I mean, here, here, I'm very clear with people. I mean, I, uh, I'm still keeping my money on Hillary Clinton from the very beginning. From 2012 until now, I have not taken my money off of Clinton. That doesn't mean I, I like her, I support her, I endorse her, or any of that. That's simply to say that I think that neoliberalism is the future of this system and that Trump and his supporters are indeed outliers. They're not the majority of the society. They're not even a plurality of the society. They're not even a plurality of the Republican Party. I'm sorry, majority of the Republican Party. This is sort of the last stand for the angry white American man. Not that there won't be other not that there won't be other 
outrages. Not that there won't be other ridiculous candidates. Not that there won't be ridiculous political parties. But by and large, this particular form of right-wing populism mixed with this nativism and hatred for Muslims and hatred for immigrants and really a hatred for black people as well, a hatred for the educated, a hatred for intellectualism, to me seems to be uh, less and less of the population. I think there's plenty of data to point that that's not the majority of Americans, but that it is a, a significant enough portion of the population that would dictate that we have to deal with this for a very long time. Unless, of course, these people are going to be able to be organized. And are there people on the left who are willing to go organize working class and poor whites, the ones who support Donald Trump? This is why it would have been so interesting if Sanders would have gotten the nomination. Not because of Sanders or his policies. Because of the opportunities it would have opened up for people on the left to organize. I mean, so for, for instance, as I mentioned in previous programs, you know, where I live here in northwest Indiana, a lot of people for the first time in their lives knocked on doors, set up fundraisers, phone banked, called people, found donations, set up events, went to marches, rallies, you know, participated in actions, and generally engaged with their local communities. And even state communities, statewide communities, regional communities, national communities, international communities. Those lessons and skills, particularly the skills, are very important tools to acquire as an activist or a potential organizer or a protester, whatever it is. Those are extremely important skills to obtain. In that way, I've always been fond of this opportunity. I've always been happy about the fact that Bernie ran. Again, not because of his policies or because I like Bernie. In fact, I don't find Bernie to be very interesting or entertaining or even a good speaker. It's just not my style. I, I, to be honest with you, I think um, who's, the, who's the guy wasn't too exciting, but I like the way he spoke from Maryland. What the heck was his name? O'Malley. Yeah. I mean, I thought O'Malley was much smarter than Bernie Sanders. I mean, if you listen to O'Malley articulate the situation we're in, particularly the ecological context and what we needed to do in, the, in the, the gravity of the situation and the gravity of the historical context in which we currently live, far, far more profound than anything Bernie Sanders has to say or has had to say or has ever said. So that's, hey, that's my personal take. There's no need to bash. I'm not trying to you know, overly bash the guy or anything, but let's, you know, let's get rid of this weird, it's a, I mean, it's a human thing. You know, humans, I think, generally like powerful individuals, symbols, um, there's cult of personality. But to keep placing our faith in these individuals, it just, it's, I mean, do people not see how much this lets people down? You know. At the same time, and you know what's crazy, I'm still telling people in swing states to vote for Clinton. I don't see, see, this is the other part, and this is the part from the left that is so weird to me. And it can't be broken down rationally or logically. So I'm hearing from people, so people have been saying, um, don't vote for Clinton because 
you, you're going to be it's morally wrong or it's eth ethically reprehensible. I, honestly, it's to me, it's not a big deal. It's like holding my nose and voting for Sanders. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I had to sacrifice some of my principles and my morals and my ethics to support that guy. So sacrificing some more morals and ethics to support this woman isn't a big deal to me. I'm constantly sacrificing my morals and ethics to participate in American politics. For Christ's sake, this guy believed in the kill list. This guy agreed with Obama's drone program. Maybe not the excesses of it, but he still agreed with the ba he agrees with the basic uh, context of U.S. imperialism, U.S. hegemony, U.S. empire. He wasn't going to seriously challenge that. In fact, he supports some of the more dangerous and nasty elements of the U.S. empire. He's been that way since the early uh, 1990s, late 1980s. Speak to peace activists, peace and justice activists who live in Vermont. They're not too fond of as somebody called him online, the Birkenstock bomber. <laughs> um, you know, but what is that? What does that have to do with this has to do with the utter lack of international perspective. This is why you can hear Bernie Sanders supporters simultaneously walk around with made in America signs. Complete nationalist bullshit. Of course, again, these people don't understand how the global economy works. These people don't understand internationalism. These people don't take the time to understand the complexities of what actually what it actually means to be the most powerful nation living in the 21st century. They don't bother. So why should I respect these people? I don't. I don't respect their positions at all. At all. The bottom line is my friend from Philadelphia is telling me after spending a few days there and speaking with not only delegates but more importantly the sort of rank-and-file activists who are in Philadelphia, he's like, Vince, these people lack political education big time. They are they are just seriously behind the curve when it comes to actually being educated, not just about the world around them, what's happening, what different, um, excuse me, policies and, 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 and trends that are taking place throughout the world, but even more importantly about the, how the system works. Again, this level of naivety, these people who are surprised that the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Clinton campaign were openly colluding uh, or secretly colluding openly among themselves and their surrogates to defeat Bernie Sanders in the primary. Again, you should have known that going into it. How would you know that going into it? Because you understand that the Democratic Party is a corrupt institution. Well, how do you understand the Democratic Party is a corrupt institution? Well, you read history books. You stop spending six hours a day on social media and you go to the damn local library or you go to Amazon which I don't like, but you can get cheap books there if you don't have money, if you're a poor working-class person. And you can buy used books for $0.10 cents a piece. Don't tell me the knowledge isn't there, and don't tell me you don't have time. I know you have time, whoever's listening to this. If you're listening to this right now, I know for a fact you have more time. How do I know that? Because according to Northwestern University, the average American spends at least four and a half hours a day watching TV. That's how I know you have enough time. So don't give me this bullshit about, oh, my God, I'm just so busy and work and, oh, gosh, this is, it's just all so much for me. Get disciplined. Find some time management. You should be healthy physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. You should be. 
We don't need a bunch of out of shape people in the movement. We don't need a bunch of people in the movement who can't think for themselves. We don't need a bunch of people in the movement who won't take time to read about these situations and these in these events. We don't have we don't have time for that. I'm sorry. Do you know what it tells me when people are ignorant and when they're out of shape that they're undisciplined unless they have a serious medical issue and most people in this country the only serious medical issue they have is laziness. And I don't mean laziness in the right wing sense of all oh, you're lazy you don't want to make money for your capitalist bosses i mean they're intellectually morally ethically lazy they don't want to spend the time to be curious or to take the chance to be curious because sometimes it's tough people seek easy answers so getting back to this question of who to vote for it's the easy answer i hear the leftists say oh you're Who's a sellout? Noam Chomsky's a sellout, right? What, what, what is he? He's essentially saying the Republican Party is a fascist party. He won't use the term because he's very, I think, in much more, in a, obviously, much, much, ser- much more serious about the use of that term. And I think for good reasons, but I think it's important to label some of what's happening fascist or if it would have fascizoid fascistic uh, elements to it. But what? These people on the left want me to believe that Noam Chomsky's a sellout because he's telling people to vote for Hillary Clinton? This is the craziness of the left. This is why nobody pays attention to the left. Because here you have a guy who spent the last 40, well, what now? 50, 60, about 55, 60 years of his life. 60 years of his life. 60 years devoted as much, if not more, than any other public intellectual in the history of the world, not just in the United States or in the West, but in the history of the world, has spent more time fighting for peace and justice than any other public intellectual in the world over that period. And indeed, hence, really, forever. And leftists, these punk leftists, who are sitting at home on their computers all day, they want me or they want us to believe that Noam Chomsky's selling out and he's too old and he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's just another, pay what, he's just another hack for the DNC? No, he understands the situation. Jill Stein ain't winning, she's not winning shit. So stop with the Green Party stuff. Green Party's a joke. In the countries where the Green Party has a foothold, they're still a joke. Australia would be a good example. Talk to people in Australia about how powerful the Green Party is, and they actually have senators elected and people in the parliament who hold seats. That's how powerful the party is at the local, state, and national level. And the party's still a joke, has very limited influence over affairs in in Australia. And not only does it have limited influence over affairs in Australia, it has a very limited worldview and, and sort of political ideology. It doesn't really know what it is. It's like the Green Party here. What is it? What do people in the Green Party believe? That we should have a Green New Deal? How? Through the current state mechanism? Do we want to change the state apparatus? I, I don't understand what the Green Party wants. They have, a list of, they have a list of issues that they, I guess, care about. I haven't heard anything from the Green Party. I've been as active or more active than 99.9% of Americans in this country for the last 10 years, and I've been to maybe one or two Green Party events. Maybe. Maybe. 
Where's the Green Party the other four years out of the uh, election cycle? Where are they? This is a real question. I don't know where they are. My friends in Chicago who organize don't know where the hell the Green Party is. They're on, they're on, the, they're on the very out, outside. I mean, they're so far outside of a sphere of influence, it's sickening. I mean, they don't have any influence in any major cities or any major political institutions. And don't give me the crap about her, uh, whatever her name is, Sawant, the socialist from Seattle. That's essentially one of the most radical white cities in the United States. And the best they can do is get one socialist elected to city council. That's not a model for victory. That's not a model for success. So stop. I don't want to hear that either. Is it good? Should it be uh, built upon? Should we talk about it? Yes, of course. But should we hold it up as an example of what everyone around the country should do? Of course not. situation in Seattle is drastically different than the situation in St. Louis. Seattle is not Michigan City, Indiana. Seattle is not Detroit. Seattle is not Cleveland or Buffalo or Baltimore or Atlanta or Birmingham or Orlando or Miami or Chicago or Milwaukee or anywhere other than maybe what Portland, Seattle, uh, what, what Vancouver, those three cities, maybe you can compare to each other. Maybe you could use some of the models that people would create in those cities or in those contexts to then be applied in other cities or contexts that are similar, and there's not too many that are. So this, you know, I'm voting for the Green Party and I'm more radical than you or I'm more serious than you. I don't think so. I actually think the people who are more serious are the people who are willing to step back and say, okay, here's the two options. You've got, on the one hand, extremely reactionary, right-wing, Christo-fascist Republicans, and especially now, so even if you thought, oh, maybe there's a chance with Trump that he will do something different. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that over the last year I haven't thought to myself, maybe there's a possibility Trump will do some outrageous things. Not for the sake of them being outrageous, and I, I shouldn't support them for the sake of being outrageous, but because maybe by him doing those outrageous things, it will help uh, people throughout the world. So, for instance, if he were to be less of an interventionist, even if it's for all the wrong reasons, like, say, a Ron Paul foreign policy, it would still have a positive benefit for people around the world. So Ron Paul doesn't want to invade nations, not because he has any sense of international solidarity with folks around the world, but because for him it's not in the interests of America. It's not in America's best interest to be bombing, drone striking, and occupying and overthrowing uh, democratically elected governments around the world or governments, even if they're not democratically elected, around the world. And that makes sense. So even if you were to think for a moment, oh, maybe Trump is going to do this, then you realize, or then the information comes, that he offered the VP pick to John Kasich. And of course, along with the VP nomination, he also, the Trump campaign informed Kasich that he would be the most powerful vice president in the history of the office. Now, if you don't think that a similar offer was made to Mike Pence... I don't know what to tell you because it was. Of course it was. You know, what does this mean? Well, this means if Mike Pence is actually going to call the shots, then yes, there is a difference between Mike Pence and Tim Kaine. 
Of course there's a difference. If there's not a difference, see, this is what's so crazy about the way people think about politics in this country. If there's not a difference between Mike Pence and Tim Kaine, then why the hell are people in Indiana, including so-called progressive left-wing radical activists here in Indiana, telling me to vote for John Gregg, who I was going to vote for, by the way, against Mike Pence? Of course I was going to vote for Gregg. I'm not crazy. I understand. Greg, Greg probably holds 5% of the principles and values that I hold. I'm sure John Greg and I probably disagree on 95% of where he's coming from and how he views the world. He's another good old boy, Indiana boy. And I'm not a good old Indiana boy. I didn't ride around on tractors as a kid. I don't shoot commercials for my... Uh, uh, candidacy in my campaigns riding around on John Deere fucking tractors with a goddamn cowboy hat on and a Carhartt jacket. That's John Gregg. But I'm supposed to support John Gregg over Mike Pence for the gubernatorial race in Indiana, but I'm not supposed to vote for Tim Kaine over Mike Pence and, the, and to be the vice president of the United States as if Tim Kaine and John Gregg are any different? It's madness. Total madness. Of course there's differences. There are slight differences, but they're going to make a big difference to people who aren't making six figures. They're going to make a big difference to people who don't hold these privileged and professional positions that a lot of people who I see writing about these topics hold. I see very few people on the so-called left in this country who actually live in reality. The majority of people... And I'm not going to name names. If you want to talk to me privately about these, send me a message, give me a phone call, and I'll talk to you about it till, you're, till I'm blue in the face. But there are many prominent activists, prominent protesters, prominent intellectuals who live extremely privileged lives. We think these people come from the poor and the working class. You think Amy Goodman uh, ever worked a real job in her life? Get real, folks. You think Medea Benjamin ever worked a real job in her life? She comes from an extremely wealthy background. She's worth millions. Did you know that? Of course you didn't know that because you haven't spent 10 years uh, navigating the madness that is the American left. Amy Goodman's old man went to school with Chomsky's old man. They're friends. You think it's a coincidence that she has the position that she has? You think that she just so happened to be the best radio announcer in the prog- best progressive radio announcer in the country, and because of her own merit, she, she got the job that she got, and she has the influence that she has, and they have the funding that they have. Get real, folks. These people come from extremely privileged backgrounds. There's a reason they're in the position they're in today. So you can't on the one side say that the Horatio Alger myth is BS, and then on the other end think that there's a Horatio Alger uh, uh, equation at play here. On the left, where people just so happen to get into these positions of power by their own merit and hard work. Come on, get real. I hope folks don't actually think that. So pay attention when you're hearing from people uh, who could care less. And there's plenty of people, I know them. In fact, to be quite honest with you, I'm one of them. It wouldn't matter to me in the short term, maybe in the long term, maybe, you know, veterans benefits, other issues in the short term. It really makes no difference to me whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. I know that financially I will be just fine, at least fine to live above the poverty 
level. I have no kids. I live in a one bedroom uh, apartment, um, probably five, 600 square feet. I, I guess I do drive a newer vehicle. I used to drive a used vehicle for nine years and finally got sick and tired of spending every month at the, you know, body shops. And I actually make payments on a vehicle, which is a horrific thing, but this is off the topic that the point being, you know, I don't live a privileged life, but I'm not going to be affected as much as, say, um, a single mother, people who are relying on SNAP benefits, people who are relying on just the menial welfare state that the U.S. Uh, government provides people. I'm not reliant on that. The people who are, I, you keep, there's no argument to be made that having a right-wing Republican government wouldn't be worse for them. It was worse for them under Bush and Cheney than it's been under Obama and, and Biden. And you can't blame Obama and Biden for everything. I mean, I, we could sit here and have a program about how terrible the Democrats are, of course. I think I've spent the majority if, – if I were to say over the last 10 years, I'd say 80 percent of that time was spent critiquing the Democrats and liberals and about 20 percent of that time critiquing conservatives, right-wingers, Republicans. You go to my – Social media pages, you look at the articles that I've written. I've written well over 100 articles on these issues. You look at all the podcasts that I've recorded over the last six years, and there's been, I would say, hundreds now. And you won't find me ranting and raving about how terrible the right is because I think it's more – There's first of all, I think there's enough people out there who do that, who rant and rave about how terrible the right wing is. And I think we have – we don't have enough people – who are willing to critique the Democrats and liberalism and progressivism and people like Bernie Sanders and so on. And this is why I think a, a media outlets like Counterpunch are so important. Z Communications, Black Agenda Report, and others, Jacobin, who are asking serious questions, who are critiquing things that I think need to be critiqued. You know, this 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 sort of like false equivalency. If you vote for Clinton, you're just you must really just be a sellout, or you don't understand politics, or you know, wait, we're not. Who in the world? <laughs> it's a false sense of power too. I'm hearing this from activists who have no power. These people have zero power. Bernie's people barely have any power, and they're more organized than anyone on the left's been in 40 years. And they barely have any power. They barely have enough power to get to not get the TP to get the TPP taken off of the Democratic platform. So I don't know what pe when people sit back at home and they say, we're going to teach the Democrats a lesson. You are not teaching anybody a lesson. Are you out of your mind? You think it, <laughs> you might hurt Hillary Clinton's feelings. She might be, you know, if she loses the election to Trump, she might be upset. She might think to herself, my God, I'm the person who lost an election to the, you know, reality TV billionaire superstar so of course her feelings may be hurt she's i'm sure she has a huge ego and all of this but you're not hurting her. i mean you're not hurting her you're not teaching her a lesson she is going to go make hundreds of thousands of dollars giving 30 minute 45 minute prepackaged speeches to universities and think tanks and corporations around the world She's going to live in three or four different homes. She's going to jet set all over the world, eat and drink whatever she wants, and wear $5,000 clothes. You're not teaching her any lessons. What you are doing is screwing yourself. 
and as my, you know, many of my friends who are organizers, one of the first to point this out was Jonathan Matthew Smucker. And I have to give him credit for that back on the veterans unplugged show. And this was, I think in 2010 when we were talking about, or I'm sorry, this was in the, during the 2012 election. This was right before the 2012 election, but during the, the Occupy movement. And a lot of the same things were coming up. People were like, well, we're not going to vote for Obama. So what? So you can have Romney and Ryan in office? Now, I mean, again, there's the, there is a difference. And this idea, there, I guess it's interesting because some people would argue that, so the, the Glenn Ford argument is that there is a more effective evil, that the Democrats are a more effective evil. And in some ways, I do think that's true, particularly when it comes to, say, foreign policy issues. So, for instance, if there was a Republican president over the last eight years who was drone striking and killing innocent civilians around the world, I think we actually would have had thousands of people in the street. I think we would have had thousands of people demanding a change in U.S. foreign policy and so on. When it comes to domestic policies, however, I think it's very hard to argue that if indeed, say, Obama and Biden were to have a Democratic Congress throughout and a Democratic or a liberal-leaning Supreme Court, that we wouldn't be a little better off than we are today. Does that mean that any of the issues that we usually talk about on this program would be solved or fundamentally dealt with? Of course not. Let's not be silly. But also let's not be silly and say, oh, well, if there was a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate and a liberal-leaning Supreme Court and Obama and Biden in the White House, that we wouldn't have had more infrastructure programs, that we wouldn't have had more jobs programs, that we wouldn't have had a better health care system. Of course we would have. I mean, just the fact that these Republican governors blocked the expansion of Medicare and Medicaid under Obamacare for ideological political reasons is completely sickening and actually costs people their lives. Again, for people who are privileged and already have health care or have good health or don't have to worry about these things for whatever reason, of course it's not a big deal. For me, as a veteran, as a combat veteran, it doesn't matter because I can go to the VA anytime I want. So whether or not uh, Mike Pence expands the the uh, Obamacare option for the state of Indiana makes no difference to me. I'm simply trying to put myself in the shoes of people who it would make a difference to, which is why, of course, people would argue, and rightly so, that if given the choice between Mike Pence and John Gregg, you would vote for John Gregg. I don't see in any way how this is John, – again, John Gregg – does not hold my values. I have to really hold my nose to go vote for that good old boy uh, come November. And I'm going to have to hold my nose even more if I lived in a swing state to go vote for Clinton and Kane in November. But I don't think it's a big deal. And if you think, whoever's listening to this, <laughs> if you think that you're so much better or if you think that that's all you need to know about me as an activist and that blah, 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 that that defines uh, who I am and what I've stood for, then you're an asshole. We shouldn't be judging people on these decisions. These are individual decisions that take five minutes. And, you know, they don't, to me, they don't say everything that needs to be said about people. <laughs> I mean, some of the more silly people I know vote for the Green Party. They're not serious activists. They might have good positions. They might have radical ideas, but that doesn't mean they're effective or decent activists. They're largely on the fringes. They have very little say-so in what's happening. So there's a fine line that we have to 
walk here and a balance that we have to strike as activists and organizers. You know, on the one hand, we want to push the more, the most sort of radical and revolutionary ideas that we can. And at the same time, we want people to actually listen to those positions. And we want to hear from them and hear what they think about various issues and what they would like to see in the future. And even more importantly, once we get past that process or past that stage, then we have to actually work with people on a regular basis to try and create the kind of world that we've talked about creating. And all of this to me seems very tight. I mean, I'm not going to jump down anyone's throat. Uh, if you, you know, so if somebody comes and tells me, hey, Vince, I can't vote for Clinton. I'm voting for the Green Party. I'm not going to say, oh, well, this tells me everything I need to know about you as an activist and you're just another sellout moron. No, hey, okay, I understand. I understand. It's tough to want to vote for a criminal. I get it. As uh, Chirac and Le Pen, I forget what year this was, but back, I want to say early, mid-2000s, when Chirac ran against Le Pen. And his campaign, <laughs> campaign slogan was vote for, the, vote for the crook, not the fascist. I mean, that's the option you have. You could vote for a crook with Clinton or you could vote for a fascist with Trump. I'll take a crook. It's not a big deal. Until we live in a different system and it really does make a big deal, it's not a big deal to me. I'm not going to jump. I'm not even, I've got people I know who are going to vote for Trump. I'll tell them that I think they're dumbasses. But I'm not going to be, oh, my God, I'll never talk to you. Or, oh, my God, we should get violent with each other. Or, oh, my God, I'll never work with you again. It's not, no. No, I, I get it. I can get, as long as people have a decent explanation. A lot of people don't. I understand. But as long as people do, and many of the, let's put it this way, many of the activists I, I hang out with and spend time with, they actually do have really decent explanations as to why they're going to vote for whoever they're going to vote for. But more importantly, the question is, can we actually organize alternatives? And what do those alternatives look like? Are we talking about just alternative political parties? Because an alternative political party, while I think useful, is not going to solve our problems. We need a, a wide-ranging revolutionary movement to take down these systems and to replace them with something different. And that's not going to happen within the electoral parliamentary system see this is this is the part of of activism that i think people in the 21st century better grasp really quick is this idea that we're going to have our cake and we're going to eat it too that we're going to be able to live these like laid back kind of lives where we could still have hey we're going to have netflix and we're going to be drinking craft beer and everything's going to be kind of cool but at the same time you know we're going to like radically change the whole system ain't going to work like that ain't going to work like that We don't have 10 years to reform the Democratic Party, and we don't have 10 years to unfuck the Green Party, and we don't have 10 years to come up with a completely new party. We need to get rid of the electoral parliamentary system. And if people think that we're going to do that by consistently participating in trying to reform and working within the parliamentary electoral system, you're sorely mistaken. And I'm not going to argue with you about it now, today. Give me a call in 2026. <laughs> hopefully in 2026 you've got the electricity and power to be able to give me a call and hopefully we've got running water and food to eat that's where i'm at so the people who have been asking me lately hey what do you think about the future and i hope to god 
that by 2026, we've got running water. And if you think that's radical, if you think that's radical, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the people that we were talking to in 2006 when we were telling people, you know what? At some point in this country, there's going to be a fascist government. At some point in this country, there's going to be somebody so right-wing that's going to come along and is going to attract millions and tens of millions of, of supporters and votes. And the people in this country are going to be living under a drastically different governmental system than they've ever lived under before or a drastically different head of state than they have ever lived under before. And sure enough, sure enough, I wish I had a list of the people who 10 years ago told me I was nuts when I was telling them that fascism is on the horizon in this country. Is it because I was so right or so smart? Of course not. I wasn't the only one. There were millions of people saying it. People didn't want to listen, though. People didn't want to listen. People wanted to go about living their same BS lives with the same BS mentalities and worldviews that they've held their whole lives. Oh, it can't get that bad. Oh, these people are just overly cynical. They're just exaggerating. We're going to see just how cynical people are. We're going to see just how cynical or how, how much we've exaggerated in 10 years, in 5 years, in 15 years. Because we've got many things coming to a head, including... Not only the political system in the most powerful country in the world, but Europe is falling apart. Latin America is under stress, and many of the left-wing projects that I've been very fond of throughout the years are being turned back. Africa is under constant attack, primarily from China and the United States. Southeast Asia is mired in all kinds of international and nationalistic conflicts. Japan is experiencing its fifth recession in eight years. China's economy is slowing down. There's a refugee crisis that is quite literally tearing apart Europe and also the Middle East and North Africa. And all of this before, we haven't even gotten to the point where we're starting to receive hundreds of millions of climate refugees. So, folks, the status quo isn't going to cut it. And constantly thinking about these, these uh, scenarios and situations in the way that we have for many, many years, it's not going to cut it either. We need new ideas. We need people to think outside of the box. We need people who are willing to be disciplined and committed to these movements. And we need people who are willing to sacrifice not only their time, but their pre precious American lifestyles. Game's over, folks, in case you haven't noticed. So I saw a meme the other day that I think encompasses it. But, you know, all these people in America always like to, and around the world, they, try, they always speculate. You know, what would I have done in the 1930s if I lived in Germany and fascism was on the horizon? I would have been standing up. I wouldn't have just let it happen. No, 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 no. Chances are you would have let it happen. Chances are you wouldn't have stood up because the question is, what are you going to do now that fascism is on the horizon once again? You're listening to Progressive Radio Network. This is Meditations and Molotovs. You can find us here every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Vince Emanuele, and we'll see you next week.